part of the great tradition of the church is to break bread, to sing songs, to study the word. Um, when we sing, we want to make sure that we're worshiping with our minds as well. We're, we're, we're singing amazing words there. This, the power of the cross. The, the power of the cross is our salvation, our redemption, the, the paid atonement for sin. That, that's powerful. In, in our sinful state, we're dead. And, and, and through the cross, we, we have new life. I mean, that, that, is, that is so powerful. It, it's, it, it's a miraculous thing that, that is inconceivable. We, we can't even comprehend it. As non-believers, we, we don't have the, the Holy Spirit to really uh, explain it to us. So, so we walk in blindness and darkness and we, 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 we could be told, but we would never, we, we can't understand it at all. Um, but then there's the power where the Son of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ is part of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the role of the Son this is God incarnate is to die for us. That, that's why there's power. Otherwise, it'd just be a man. If, if I attempted to die on your behalf, it would, it would just be a, a human martyr's death. Be a nice intention, but it, it wouldn't have any power. But the son of God allowed himself to be slain because he put himself as that lamb to be slain. I mean, what a love. Uh, the verse says, what a love. What a cost. It, it, it essentially took a dead God to pay for your sins. But because of the power, he rose again. And so we now stand forgiven. We're forgiven in this room. And today we're going to celebrate communion. And the only reason and the way we can celebrate communion isn't because we're good. It's not because we're sinless. Uh, it's quite the opposite. But we're forgiven. That's what separates us. And we're not forgiven because we're good and because we're earnest. We're, we're forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. First, by grace, through faith. And the faith isn't even ours. So it's important that we understand this. That this then is the crux of Christianity. Christianity is not how many times you've consistently gone to church, right? You know, you're, you know, you're the Lou Gehrig of church, you know, or the Cal Ripken. You know, I've been to church for 15 years straight, never missed. Um, that doesn't matter. You know, I'm the big giver at church. I give faithfully. I give big. I give when there's extra. You can't buy your way into heaven. You know, I serve, I serve, and I serve. I have a, a big heart, and I go and I feed the homeless, or I do work projects. And, and these things are great, and they're beautiful. But you don't earn salvation that way either. It, it's it's by, by God's grace that he laid himself, that the thing you have to envision is instead of the, the head of the household carrying the lamb and handing it to the high priest and the high priest putting the lamb on the altar and slaying him and making the blood atonement. Instead, Jesus Christ walks up to the altar, lays himself down. It's a graphic thing. And maybe because it's so graphic, we actually don't want to think about it too much. The day of atonement in Israel was an absolute bloodbath. Could you imagine just the city of Ravensdale. Everybody in the city of Ravensdale met at four corners and everybody brought a lamb and slayed it on the corner. Do you know what that would look like? Do you know what the priest would look like? He would start out in white and end up in red. It was graphic. Well, this is why communion, a part of why communion is so important. And, and communion really starts in the Old Testament. There's a, there's a history the Old Testament established our guilt. 
The Old Testament, the, the, the Old Covenant was the law. Here's the law. And it established what the law is by the holy lawmaker. And so we're to keep that law. But we couldn't keep the law. We, we broke the law. The Old Covenant was never intended to save anybody. The Old Covenant was never intended to be a, if you obey all of this list, then you can make it into heaven. That wasn't the intention. It was a standard. It was a guidepost. Um, under the New Covenant, we have a new understanding of this relationship between God and man and how sin can then be wiped away. So in 2 Corinthians 3.6, we see that the Spirit gives life, not this ceremonial act. Uh, in Hebrews 9.13, it states that, well, if goats and bulls could pay the price, then why would we need Christ? If, if goats and bulls could pay the price, why would the, the second person of the triune Godhead have to come on earth incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, and die for us if all we needed was goats and bulls? Hebrews 10.4 goes on to say that it was impossible for that blood to pay for the price of our sin. And onward it said it could never take away sin. It was just a picture. And so the new covenant, as described in Hebrews, is a better covenant. It's better. Well, again, that's why we have to understand what communion is, because communion is the celebration of that. Communion, it says there, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what? In, in remembrance of who? In remembrance of what, what did he do? And in remembrance of the ramifications of what he did. Th this is the essential element of Christianity. It's one of the things that makes us different than everybody else. It, it's not don't steal. It's, it's, it's not don't commit adultery. That, that's not what makes us unique as a faith. It's not even the name of Jesus. Almost every false religion includes some form of Jesus in it, maybe the wrong form. So today we want to look at four points surrounding what, what the new covenant then shows us and our understanding of redemption in that tie into communion, into what the communion table is. And the four elements are, first we want to look at the Passover. The Passover points to the new covenant through communion. Second point is the sacrificial system points to our new covenant. Third is the substitutionary atonement points to the new covenant. And then third, the inauguration of communion points to the new covenant. So real fast is a real quick little back, background survey. Communion has a long history. In Luke 22, what we read earlier was a transition point. Luke 22, 1 says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, every Jew knew what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was. It had been going on for you know a couple thousand years and started with the Israelites. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. So it's, it's already instituted. It's already there, right? But what happens in Luke 22, when Jesus says, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, and he, and he says to them, verse 19, this is my body do this in remembrance of me he's taking passover and now he's saying no, no, forget the the lamb of passover my body look at me uh when he says give thanks give thanks to me then do this in remembrance of me i mean again you have to understand and put yourself in that place it would be no different than if today right now if I say, okay, you've heard of Passover, you've heard of communion, there's a new program in remembrance of me. <laughs> I mean, that would be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's, that's a big matzo ball, right? You're changing the whole deal. Um, and I'm not saying that. That's completely false. What Jesus then is, is doing is, is either radically changing the program 
or this program had a smooth history and it was taking steps towards the ultimate climax of how God redeems his people. Some call the Bible, it's a, it's a history of redemption. There's a thread of Christ that begins in the beginning and goes through. And so it is together. It's, it's not like choppy in two different systems. We think that way because the Israelites in their rejection of Christ have in essence made it old covenant separate, new covenant separate, right? Jews, old school, Christians, new. They've created the separation, but God didn't do that. This is all just part of the steps. And again, we need to understand it. And so communion has this long history. It began with Passover in Leviticus 23.5. We see it also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Leviticus 23.6. Part of this was the offering of the first fruits, Leviticus 23.10. The weeks of Pentecost, Leviticus 23.16. We see the trumpets, celebration of the trumpets, Leviticus 23.24. Ultimately, the day of ultimate atonement, Leviticus 23.27. They have tabernacles of booths, Leviticus 23.34. And then we see communion, the tie-in in Luke 22. So it's really not new. And in a different study, what you would see is that Jesus himself identifies with Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks of Pentecost, trumpets, day of atonement. All that's him. All that was pointing to him being the better. The book of Hebrews uh, goes into great detail that we'll just touch on some of the passages today. So the first communion tie uh, is to the Passover event. The Passover event, again, Luke 22, verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. Uh, that's what they were all coming to town to celebrate this Passover. Now what was taking place is the chief priests and the scribes were actually trying to uh, find Jesus and put him to death. Okay, so there's a plot against Jesus. There's a plot against Jesus to kill him during Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 7, Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Had to be sacrificed. So, there was a, a sacrifice that was going to take place, a, a sacrifice memorial, a memorial to remember what had taken place back in Exodus 3,000 years ago, a great tradition. And it, it showed and revealed how their, their faith in the blood over the doorposts led to a payment or an atonement or a covering for protection for life so let's look at exodus 12 and let's see what that is actually all about this is the then beginning really in earnest of communion so exodus 12 1 through 14 now the lord said to moses and aaron in the land of egypt this month shall be the beginning of months for you it is the first month of the year speak to the congregation of israel saying on the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household a lamb for each household one lamb covers the whole household now if the household is too small for a lamb then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. They didn't just waste the lamb. They didn't just slaughter lambs and throw them in the side of the, they, they also ate them. So, you know, uh, Peter wouldn't be upset at this point. Well, they'd still be upset, but you know. Verse five, your lamb, your lamb shall be unblemished. An unblemished, perfect, holy, sinless male, clean. No cuts, no bruises, no breaks, no scars, no deformities, unblemished. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. 
Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh the same night, roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread. That's why it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And bitter herbs do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire. It's barbecue. Both its head and its legs, along with the entrails, and you shall not leave any of it until morning. But when, but whatever is left until morning, you shall burn it with fire. It's all part of the kosher process. Now you shall eat in it in this manner with your loins girded and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. Part of the ten plagues were judgments against ten false gods. Um, that's a direct pointing to that. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, pass over, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast, a celebration to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. It's an ordinance. Okay, that's what it is. The Passover was, was an, or, an ordinance, an unblemished male lamb. It was a substitute for your household. Right? It's, that's the idea of substitutionary atonement. Somebody else makes that payment. The payment was blood. Well, I do it to avoid the destroyer. Um, remember, part of the Passover scene was there was this destroyer that was going to destroy the, the firstborn. So this was a judgment. So it's a way to escape judgment. Right? And then once you by faith, because if somebody came to you today and said, hey, look, um, tomorrow night at midnight, there's going to be a destroyer and the firstborn, well, we'll change it. The, the, the firstborn woman of the household is going to die. And all you need to do is, is find an unblemished lamb, slay it and put blood on your doorpost. What do you do? And why would you do it? You don't do it because you know you're going to be safe. You do it because I think I'm going to be safe. And by faith, blind faith, you do it. But your faith leads you to action, right? That faith is convinced faith. That faith is sure faith, as Hebrews 11 talks about. So you're convinced and you're sure this is going to happen. So you act and put the blood. But it's still faith. It was a great act of faith that they did this. Remember, they didn't have the book of, of Exodus when this happened. That they could go, well, you know, 3,000 years ago this happened. So I get, maybe, maybe it could happen again. You know, and I love my wife, so I'm going to put the blood over. They, they had none of that pure, raw faith. It was, it's a beautiful thing. Now, ironically, back to Luke 22, back to, back to Luke 22, this is really interesting because the chief priests and the scribes are looking to put Jesus to death. Judas is, is trying to betray Jesus. And so you have them gathering for the Passover, which was the sacrificial lamb that was slain. And what was really getting ready to happen was Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who was getting ready to be slain. So they're working in God's plan, his sovereign plan, but completely with their own intentions. They just wanted to kill Jesus. They, they didn't have anything holy or anything like, well, you know, we need to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament Messiah and, and the new covenant. So sorry, Jesus, but, you know, you know the plan. They had nothing, they, all their intentions were wicked and evil. 
um, but it played into what God's plan was. So Passover officially was organized way back when. Um, it was a, a, a memorial so that they would remember the great event of the past. And it continued on from generation to generation to generation. You realize to this day it still happens in Christian homes and Jewish homes. That event has never been forgotten. How cool is that? We're, we're a part of the continuation. The Passover judgment, the escape the mercy, the passing over of death. Communion is a reminder to us that, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we pass over eternal death. It's incredible. Well, the second communion tie is, is the sacrifice, the, the sacrificial system for sin. Uh, back to Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And they said to him, where do you prepare? Want us to prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him to the house that he enters. Again, God sovereign. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's laying it all out. And you shall say to the owner of the house, teacher says to you, where is the guest room which I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So here's Jesus. They're preparing for this. Again, the Passover event, the old Passover event. But now what's hap happening is it's getting ready to be transitioned into this Jesus is going to be sacrificed. Well, what's the sacrifice? What's the sacrifice for? We know the Passover for judgment, but now you've got to think more in terms of a sacrifice for payment for sin. So turn back with me to Leviticus uh, chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus is, uh, it means the law. And so here's the old testament the old covenant israel is just becoming a nation they're coming out of the desert and they're they're starting to to lay down the law that god has given to moses and so this is the beginning of the law this is the beginning in leviticus chapter one the lord called mo to, to moses and spoke to him again that's important moses didn't just make this up the jews didn't just make this up this is from god then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of the meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of the meeting and he may, that he may be acceptable for the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be acceptable for him to make atonement on his behalf. And, and so the hand on the animal was like that transferring, right? It, it's a picture. It's a symbol of, of the substitute of the animal, right, to the person. That was part of it. That's why when you have like a blessing, especially, you know, in some old tradition, they put the hand on the forehead and they're, they're praying. It, it's a symbol of, my words and my intentions are a blessing that's going to you. Um, so, and he shall slay the young bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood on the altar. This is the payment. The payment is blood on the altar. That is the doorway of the tent meeting. And he shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And so this then is the sacrifice payment for sin. The sacrifice payment for sin. Why? Because we all sin, right? We, we all have sin. And so something needs to pay for that sin. Are you going to pay for that sin? You, you think you can, but 
some sin you don't even know you committed. Think about that for a second. And so, again, there's a great history of the altar sacrifice for sin that begins all the way back in the garden. It begins in Genesis 3.20. It begins with Adam. Adam and Eve sin. And what do they do? They, they realize that now they're naked. And they want to hide their shame. So the first thing they do is they hide from God. When you sin, you hide from the people you sin against. You hide from mom and dad. You hide from your spouse, right? So you hide. Or you then try to fix it. You try to cover it up yourself. Or you try to earn it. So Adam and Eve made their own loin or their own coverings with, with figs. And God comes in and he provides the loin covering. And in between the lines there, it's like, wait a minute. There was a sacrifice an animal sacrifice to make the loin coverings for Adam and Eve. And so it begins. And then we see Cain and Abel. They go in Genesis 4 and they make sacrifice. We go to Genesis 8.20 and, and Noah makes sacrifice before, after, the, uh, after he gets off the, the ark. We go to, to Abraham. Abraham makes sacrifices. Uh, then we go into Exodus and we see the whole sacrificial altar system set up in the temple, in the tab tabernacle, in the sanctuary. And then the priests or the mediators are the ones who, who that's their job is to take the animals, to slay them, to, to put them on the altar. And so what we see here then is the picture when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, right? Jesus then is going to be on the altar. The cross is the altar. The cross is the altar. This is the place where he substitutes himself. He sacrifices himself. He pays the price. And this is what blows me away every time. And, it, and it, it's, I, I, can't, I can't imagine the price for my sin alone. Um, you know, we, we want to pay our own way, right? We, we want to pay for everything we do. We, we don't want handouts. We, we want to earn every, every nickel, right? We want to pay. And, and this is a debt you can't pay. And to think that Jesus would have to pay for, for my sins, all the different things that I've done through all the different years. And, you know, as, as a little guy that I knew was wrong, that I knew was sin, that I knew was if nothing else, breaking family rules. And then to think, well, not just mine, but other people's too, right? Um, all of ours, just think this room, the weight of sin in this room. Well, communion ties into that sacrifice for sin. It's, it's the act of the propitiation, the actual payment that and propitiation ties into it satisfies this is what satisfies God not the blood of goats and bulls that doesn't satisfy him that's not what he wants he required this payment it's absolutely unbelievable incredible and this then is being tied in at this point directly to Christ and so that's why communion then becomes so powerful to be reminded of this well the third tie is again understanding this the substitutionary act of atonement verse 14 when the hour had come he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Th this again is an amazing transition. Jesus is getting ready to celebrate an old tradition of Passover. And he says, I've earnestly desired to, to do this. To celebrate this, this awesome historical memorial event. Before I suffer. See, Jesus is the only one in the room who knows what's about to happen. And so he's saying, this is great, and I love this. This is an awesome event. But I've got an even bigger one coming. 
And, and he just kind of throws this. They don't even know what's going on here. He's like, so we're going to celebrate before I suffer. That, that's a weird statement. I thought we, we're, this is, we're in the room. We're celebrating Passover. We're at a feast celebration. What is suffering? How does that tie in? Um, well, again, Jesus knows that he is then going to become the substitution. Right, turn back with me to Leviticus 5. Should have kept a finger in there. I'm sorry. Leviticus 5. Um, and Leviticus 5. Well, we'll read pray about 19. Let's go with, start at verse 5. Leviticus 5, verse 5. So it shall be when he becomes guilty in one of these that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. So part of this pro process is confession. Remember, our salvation comes by faith. Uh, Romans 10 talks about if you confess with your mouth, Part of it's admitting your guilt, right? We deal with this in relationships and marriage relationships. It's like at the end of the day, you know, the first thing we want, just admit it, right? Just admit what you did. Admit it was wrong. Um, you do that, you'll go a long way. You don't do that, you're not going anywhere except deeper in the spiral. So confess that which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin. He has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, as sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement. This is the substitutionary atonement on his behalf for his sin. Verse 7, but if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord his guilt offering for that which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two pigeons, down to verse 10, the second he shall then prepare a burnt offering according to the ordinance. So a priest shall make, here we go again, an atonement on his behalf. Verse 13, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. Um, verse 16, he shall make restitution for that which he has sinned against. Uh, the priest shall make atonement for him. For his guilt offering, it shall, and then it shall be forgiven. Again, verse 18, the priest shall make atonement. So the idea, atonement, 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 you're atoning, you're, you're taking care of, you're, you're cleaning the ledger. But, and this is the mistake we make, it, it's, it's not a, a nothing. We tend to think it's like, well, like, if I don't have to pay for it, well, I, I guess nobody does. I mean, we call that the government, right? I mean, yeah, if, I, if they just give it to me, then I guess the money comes out of nowhere. No, somebody's paying for that, right? Somebody's paying for that program. It's crucial that we understand that, that our payment for our sin is not just a... a ooh, a celebration event of Passover, of remembering. And it's not even just a sacrifice. It is a substitute for you. Somebody else, something else has to take your place. Don't forget that. And that was Jesus. We tend to think we step aside and here's our debt and it's just, and then the debt goes that way. No, we step aside, Jesus steps in, and the debt goes away. It's a substitute. Don't ever forget that. Remember it in remembrance of me. And Jesus knew it was going to happen. He says, we're going to do it before I suffer. And so Leviticus then is a foreshadow of Jesus. The bulls and the goats, they, they, they could never atone. Never, ever. It's interesting in Leviticus 4 through 5, Leviticus 4 through 5, they kind of go through some of the various things that need to be atoned for. Things like unintentional sin, Leviticus 4, 2. Or what about the whole nation, corporate sin? Do you guys realize 
corporate sin? Think about that for a second. You're accountable for corporate sin, for what your local government does? Would you like that program? I would be sacrificing every day, right? Um, who knows what those guys are doing behind closed doors? They just have the thing going 24-7. Um, leaders, you make sacri- atonement for the leaders who sin? Well, leaders never sin. No. The common people? Uh, verse 27, Leviticus 4.27, just normal people sin. Um, everybody sins. Leaders, common people, right? Um, silence and testimony. You see what's going on. You see the law being broken, but you don't say anything. That needs to be atoned for. Turning the other eye is, is not okay. That's part of sin. Giving a false testimony is sinful, but doing nothing sinful too. Um, being unclean, false oaths, false oaths, lying, breaking your word. These things need to be atoned for. And so the point, again, is somebody else is a replacement in your stead. Well, finally, the fourth communion tie is to the inauguration of the new covenant. Communion inaugurates the new covenant. Verse 17. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you and remember, do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup which is poured out for you. Now here it is. For you is the new covenant in my blood. This is a major event that just happened. Remember, they're living under the old law, the old covenant. That's all they've ever known. All they know is, well, there's a Messiah that's going to come. He's supposed to be like a king, savior. Um, that's our great hope. That's, and, and we knew something about a new covenant, but I mean, we can't really picture or fathom what that is. And so we know what Passover is. We know what unleavened bread is. And all of a sudden Jesus says, okay, today we're erasing that and we're starting the new covenant today what how that's whoa that's a super wait everybody do you guys remember what the new covenant was you know they don't have books they don't have bibles and so some new some didn't okay well let's go back to jeremiah 31 so in jeremiah 31 the lord had proclaimed To Jeremiah, hey, days are coming. Verse 27, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of the beast. There's these days coming when everything's going to be taken care of. At this time, Israel is splitted and divided into two countries. Their enemies are conquering them. And so, hey, there's hope, guys. But I'm going to sow you together, not only with the divided kingdom of Israel and the house of Judah, but also with the seed of man and the wild beasts, with the Gentiles. So there's a pointing to the future that this program has never been just about Israel. It's going to be about everybody. Remember Abrahamic covenant, the promise of land, seed, and a blessing to all nations. Verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will make a new covenant. Now they should have been running around Saying, when's the new covenant? When's the new covenant? I want the new covenant. I don't like the old covenant. I don't like the old system. Don't we all want new? Don't we want the latest, greatest? But somehow in their gorilla mouth, they got a little blinded. And they really just thought of the Messiah. And they really just thought of the Messiah as a conquering king. And then that's all they could see. That's all they could hope for. That's all they could want. But very clearly, 
Israel should have been waiting for a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant, which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my law within them and on their hearts, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the conscience of God. We know what right and wrong is because God puts it in us now. We don't need the Ten Commandments on a tablet. We know, and we know, and we know, we know. We like to pretend we don't know, but why do we do it in secret? Why do we do it at night? Why do we lie about it if we didn't think it was wrong? And we've been doing that program since age two, right? But we know it's wrong. So God puts it on our hearts. We know what right and wrong is. This is part of the new covenant blessing. Verse 34, and they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. And the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This should have been the great hope. Hey, you guys know in the new covenant, he's just going to forgive it. And our sin will be remembered no more. No more lamb sacrifices. No more worrying that on the day of atonement when we sacrifice and when we go out for lunch afterwards and we get in an argument we got to wait a whole another year to be forgiven of our sins. Do you know what the bondage that that would, would be? It'd be terrible. Terrible. Now we've gone the other way and we're like spoiled brats. We just think daddy will pay for it. Daddy will pay for it. Daddy will buy me a new one. Right? So we've got other issues. But this was the, the hope of new covenant blessing. Well, all covenants, all covenants require blood. And it began with, with Abraham. And every single covenant has and needs a blood inauguration. Well, not only was Jesus paying the price and atoning for sin on the cross, he was also, his blood was the inauguration of, of the new covenant. There are a couple different things. Uh, Hebrews 9.16. Hebrews 9.16. For where a covenant is, there must be the necessity of death. There must be the necessity of death. For a covenant is valid only when a man is dead. For it is never in force. While the one who made it is alive, it's kind of like a will. The will isn't inactive until you die. It's the pro and con, right? Uh, daddy's got you in the will you get it all when he dies so you need dad to die somebody's got to die in order for the will to act to be set in motion and when you do it through the lawyers and all that it goes automatically it, it, it happens it's in process um, well why a new covenant why do we need this new covenant Hebrews 8 turn with me to Hebrews 8 verse 7 We'll start at verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, says Jesus as a high priest, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. By the way, this is one of those things where I don't know why any religion today, and especially any religion that would proclaim itself to be Christian, would have priests. The priest... In the Old Covenant was a mediator between God and man. The priest was the one who would put the offering of sacrifice on the altar and the substitution. We have a better priest. Jesus. Why would I go backwards? You don't need a priest. You don't need me to talk to Jesus. You don't need a priest. You don't need me to make a sacrifice on your behalf. This is a very dangerous concept to think old way of priesthood when we have a new priest and Hebrews 8 makes it very clear. And if you're not sure, this is more excellent. This is better covenant. This is an enactment on better promises for 
if, verse 7, the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for the second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their forefathers. On that day when I took them by the hand, led them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. They broke my laws, they broke my covenants, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Verse 12, for I will be merciful to their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. So the beginning of the new covenant, why? Because the old one had faults. Now it's obsolete. This is a completion and a fulfillment of the old. Let's be clear. Again, it's not a new program. We always needed the Passover system paid by blood. We always needed the Passover system. We always needed the sacrificial system, a blood payment for sin. We always needed a substitutionary atonement system, the lamb replacing you. Now it all comes together in Jesus. See, so it, it's not a... Like, a, a, like a, you know, one day stealing's sinful and the next day stealing's okay. It wasn't a transition and a change. It's a completion. It's a completion of the old versus the new. A vacuum's still a vacuum. It just works better now, right? Um, so so don't, don't, don't get the wrong idea. And so the new covenant started with Exodus, Passover, Moses, and it just continues on to the completion then of Jesus Christ. He is better. He is best. This is why it's so important for us to understand what's happening and to celebrate it. To celebrate it. I, I know there's I know there's a lot that that take the communion ordinance as a, as, a, as a very somber and solemn time. And it gets very quiet and, and very like deep and serious and kind of sad. And let's not mistake reverence um, for celebration. This is a time of celebration. This isn't a, tie to, a time to, to look at our sin and like the monastics to start whipping ourselves because of how bad we've been. Well, guess what? You can start today. I'll see you in a week. Don't move. Just sit there and keep rocking. And you're going to stay here a while if you want to go that route and pay for yours. No. Um, and so we come and we celebrate. This is a celebration. It's, it's amazing to me because it, it, the, the last part of it is, is the wine. Now, in the, old, in the New Testament, they'd be drinking wine. And wine is always associated with banquet. Wine is always a, cel is, is a celebration and a feast. Wine is a <laughs> joyful time. This is why God doesn't, doesn't forbid the drinking of wine. It's, it's, it's not a sin to drink wine. It's part of the celebration. You're just not supposed to drink too much. You're just not supposed to get drunk. You're supposed to have that clear head, right? But it is part of this great tradition and celebration of celebrating Passover. It's an amazing time when God passes over Israel and strikes down the Egyptians who had been oppressing them for 400 years. And then God releases them from their slavery and they cut through the Red Sea and, and all kinds of miracles are taking place. Woo! What a great proclamation of the awesome things that God has done. And then let's talk about Jesus. Do you know what Jesus has done? That the power of the cross Oh, so we come 
to communion, not because communion saves us. Communion does not save you. Um, you're not required to take communion, but it's an ordinance of belief and hope. How would you not? It's kind of like, like baptism. We're following again in the pattern and the footsteps of Jesus. We're doing something that Jesus celebrated and did. That, that's, that, that's an awesome thing. It's an incredible thing. And so turn with me to Matthew 26 as we prepare for the table. And we know in Matthew 26, it's one of our passages that, again, is a reminder of communion. Um, Acts, 20, Acts 2, 42, the early church was devoted. This is part of what they were devoted to is the breaking of the bed. Why? The reminder of the sacrifice Jesus made. Acts 27, they, they would do it on the first day of the week. And, and what is communion? Well, it's, it's in the word. Come, community, union. Union, we're united. We're united with Christ. We're united together in our membership. We're, we're studying right now what is the church? What is membership? That's why gathering together as a communal church, we're, we're in union together, not only with Christ, but with each other. What a, what a beautiful picture this is. So for believers, this is for believers. Any believer is welcome to celebrate communion with us. You don't have to come to this church. You could be a visitor. You could be first time, but you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again on behalf of the confession of your sin, and you understand that it's Jesus who pays for that sin. And so, verse 26, and while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing... He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So as I pass the, the bread, I just want you to, to just examine yourself. This isn't a time to beat up on yourself. It's just a, a time to confess, be honest and real, so that you understand why you're thankful that Jesus gave himself as a substitute on your behalf. 